This is the Breaking Down Incident Response Podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Betcher. And I am Michael Goff. Yes, it's episode 001 of the Breaking Down Incident Response Podcast. And let me uh, just go over a summary of what we're going to talk about today. Um, first, we're going to go over, a lot of people have been asking about the intro music, so we're going to tell you a little bit about the musician, the artist, all that good stuff. We're going to go into some news-related items. Some uh, college students got hacked. I don't know why, but uh, we'll talk about it. Then, uh, No, it's a good one. Um, some uh, Java malware that we, an article we saw about it, and we're going to tell you what is true and what's not about this uh, article regarding Java malware. We're going to talk a little bit about TrickBot. We have a couple of site-worthy website recommendations for your feeds. We're going to talk about some tools. We've got a bunch of tools that are related to our topic. So we're going to look at that. And uh, also the topic of the day, which is what can you do to combat cred-stealing fishes? All right, Michael, uh, let's uh, go into our sponsor. Sure. This podcast is brought to you by, of course, LogMD, the log and malicious discovery tool. So if you have not tried it, it's free. Download it at log-md.com and give it a try. Okay. So we got some questions about our intro music. It's pretty cool. Uh, Michael, can you talk a little bit about the artist and all that good stuff, what the song's called, things like that? Sure. So we were uh, at dinner one time and uh, this uh, bartender was telling us about this band he was in a couple of years ago. And and so I you know, had him on the back radar, didn't think much about it. And I, one day when we were talking about the podcast, I'm like, you know, I have this rocker guy has this band. I should see if he'll let me use one of his music. And he did. Uh, Clint Baker. He's a member of a band called Nowhere Bound. And you can find them and their tourings at nowhereboundband.com slash event dash listing. We'll have those in the show notes, so don't worry about it too much. He uh, He's famous in the past for being a member of Riddling Kids. And if that sounds familiar, not the Riddlin, it's actually spelled differently. But he was actually, you can see his video on YouTube. He was on MTV back in the day. He was also on Craig Ferguson's Late Night with the Riddling Kids. And he also had a guest appearance on House, you know, that doctor show thing. And so uh, Clint and I talked and he said, yeah, we got a, we got a cool thing. And uh, he gave us one of his uh, musics to try and we liked it. And so we made it into our intro. And, and that's the story. Isn't he going to be and in Europe or something soon? He is. He's going to be doing some, um, they, they go around, he has a band, the Norbound is popular in Europe, so they go around and play uh, various uh, fairs and, and whatnot, and and uh, he's got a following, and it's kind of a punk uh, type band, punk rock, not totally punk, but more rocky, yeah, screaming rock band now, but that's what Norbound is, uh, but you can totally watch his stuff on YouTube and, and get, him, get him there. We'll play the whole song of our intro at the end of the podcast. So take a listen. And if you have some interest and a shout out to Clint for letting us, uh, you know, use his music on the podcast. Cool. Now let's, uh, we, we do have some guests here or a guest. Uh, he's a security manager. He is a manager of the security solutions engineering team, uh, somewhere in the email phishing industry. Wow. That's kind of related to our topic. Martin bro. Howdy. Thank you. We got him because we fished and he answered. So we yeah, I always click on the link. He fell for it. It's your job to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So Martin uh, is a local Austinite as well. We know Martin from uh, various things around town. Uh, Martin and I had an interesting uh, introduction at, what, I forget what event it was, some event downtown. He goes, are you Michael Goff? I'm like, yes. Oh, I'm such a fan. I'm like, oh my God, I have a fan. Single, one fan. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a rather funny r- funny meeting with Martin. I think that was that was Sands Defear like four four years ago. Yeah, it might have. Yeah, I think it was the Sands, right? It was one hey, of those lunch. I think things I was there. I think I remember that. Yeah, I think you were. It was the. Yeah. It was like one of those lunch and learns. <laughs> and uh, I remember because I was sitting there, and the only reason being is because I, I listened to um, Brian your other podcast with Brian Brake and yeah. breaking down security. And I heard Michael Goff's voice when he asked a question in the room. And I went, that's Michael Goff. <laughs> it's, it's, an indis- it's, it, it's a very distinct voice. So I said, you know, that's, that's definitely Michael Goff. So I'm going to, I'm going to go up and talk to him. Nice. Yeah. I'm easy to approach where we had small time. world. So I guess he has a little bit of a pun intended bromance for me. Ooh. I think, I think that that's worth it. All right, let's get into some newsworthy. <laughs> All right, so newsworthy. Got to play our little sound bit. Uh, this this uh, story I put out because I, I just thought it was really funny. Um, it has an interesting topic, but the register and this is actually their title: "Perv rated college girls' online accounts for nude snaps by cracking their." Security questions, and that's really the point here, the security questions. Personal info obtained to pull off 1,400 password resets. And now he's behind bars, obviously, where he should be. Uh, I found this interesting because Powell's interest in all this was obtaining private sexually explicit photos, which people apparently store in their email accounts without much thought about security. So first point here is please don't store anything incriminating about yourself in your email. That's a thing where you store pictures in your email? Well, remember all those uh, actresses and actors got their stuff pwned, right? That guy's in jail for some period of time and Jennifer uh, Lawrence and and a whole slew of, of famous actors got their stuff stolen. So the, the article goes on to say it's not immediate, cl- immediately clear why the large number of such images on the internet internet did not suffice. So you're trying to tell me this guy ran out of internet porn that he then decided to go crack into college girl sites? I mean, I, I just – I laughed so hard when I read this article. But it has a really interesting point that I think really needs to be uh, – we, we've talked about this in AppSec in the past. Probably haven't heard about it a lot. Uh, we make fun of it all the time. But, uh, you know, Jonathan Powell, it's the guy, the bad guy who did this. He hacked over a thousand email accounts in search of these sexually explicit images and videos of college-age women. He was jailed for six months on computer fraud. So he just got six months for a thousand. So I wonder how many hours that is per account with the math. And, uh, and during that time, uh, what he did is he used a reset utility option in the website. And he went through... 18,600 attempted password changes in conjunction with approximately 2,054 unique PACE accounts, email accounts, and approximately 1,378 successful password changes in conjunction with approximately 1,035 unique PACE email accounts, uh, explained FBI agent Christopher Merriman in the complaint. Now, okay, the point here is he made 18,600 attempts at password changes. And he didn't get caught after, I don't know, the first thousand. How do you, how do you not see that 
<laughs> I, wow. But this is the point. This is the point. You need to watch your not only failed login attempts, as this guy clearly did, your security questions, if the if the application does not log uh, multiple attempts to guess your security questions, you know, what is my favorite color? Blue, red, green, orange, yellow, you know, go through the whole thing. It, there should be a pattern here that's very easy to log and detect, and that's the point here. Uh, the fact that no one noticed until they got through, you know, 1,400 accounts are compromised and 18,600 attempts is the part that, oh, come on, man, you can do a much better job at logging because your stuff sits on the internet and it's, you know, this is a proof of how, how bad security questions are and how even worse the people monitoring these awful security questions should be. If you're going to have crappy security questions, log really well so when people start beating on them, uh, you you definitely find them. And so I found this interesting. It definitely has some good points. It's things people should look at. So go back to your environment. <laughs> Make sure security question attempts uh, to guesses are logged and watch the quantity, especially because you know this guy used probably one or two IPs. That 18,600 we can assume came from, you know, one or two or three IPs or at least the same ISP. And that would be in our environment. And then Brian and I, we would catch this in a heartbeat. So uh, that's the point: is look for these things and uh, catch these kinds of dumbasses like Jonathan. Yeah, Martin, you got any comments on this? I mean, uh, have you seen things like this before? Are you got any advice? Yeah. I, so first off, I mean, I had ten percent. That was almost a ten percent success rate on that attack. That's that's pretty I know, impressive. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm actually quite amazed he made it that far. Um, you know, when you're when you're looking at something, are you are you really? How, how well and, people you know, are in it's this not world? like he was making money off of this, right? No, it's just that he wanted these images. That's just that's man, that's that's some some. I really just have to have those. I, I can't <laughs> even think of any other reason why you do that, but. Well, but again, the, the guy's comment was, you know, uh, such images on the internet did not suffice. So it's like, internet porn's not good enough for you, really? It's, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I mean, there's so many funny things about this story. It's a thrill about getting awesome. them for free, and maybe you're the only one that can see them or whatever. You don't have to pay for them. And hacking, is, you know, might have been a thrill for him as well. Well, I guess since he couldn't go out and date the girls, he just the challenge yeah. was in obtaining maybe he the, did. the email. So address, maybe he did. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Um, we don't know. Didn't say. We do not. Know. I mean, so our, oh, just, go ahead. Just I was just gonna say. I mean, like 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 Michael mentioned, like you guys would catch this in a heartbeat, and we would catch something like that in a heartbeat. Is it, you know, just logging. Like you just watch these yeah. things, and you you alert for things like this. This is this is you know, web application one hundred and one. You know, Big if time. you have an internet facing, you know, uh, credentials that input, you need to log that. You need to watch what's happening with that and you need to have timeouts for it. Yeah. The pattern's pretty clear. You know, 18,600. Eh, plus or minus 10,000. You know, it's it's a pretty well, big this number. Well, it could have been yeah, over years, easily... but, you know, you, you have to baseline how many people in general will attempt to reset their password. How many failures do you get in a day? How many successful ones? I mean, we see this, uh, I send, you know, you and I have alerts when whenever our VPN account is logged into. Oh, yeah, that was me um, about mm. 30 minutes ago, right? I get an email saying, hey, you used your VPN. Yeah, I did. Yeah, even, even OpenVPN can do that. I mean, there's 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 open source things you can use to to set up alerting systems for these things. There's yeah. expensive ones. There's 
you know, there's, there's really no reason you shouldn't be able to catch something as simple as, you know, yeah. even something as simple as, okay, this person attempted to reset their password three times. They're, they're, they're cut off or they send them an, a, an email notification and that person should know, Hey, I'm not, that's not me. In which case it should have instructions on what to do. If that wasn't yeah. you, well, let us know. Pass. Yeah. Last pass throttles you, right? When you attempt too many times, it slows you down to wait five minutes. Um, pretty simple fix to really cripple the ability to do this. Yeah, and so if there's any consultants listening, it, clearly universities need some help here yeah. in their password resets. I've noticed that a lot. And, and, you know, just enabling MFA on, on any of this stuff is, 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 you know, would help out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in the university. You're not. No, MFA. for sure. It, I, you know, awesome. yeah. <laughs> I know that I've, I've, I worked, I worked at a, at a couple of universities in the past and uh, it's, it's tough to get anything like that done. Um, so, but yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess the lesson for security uh, blue team practitioners is, um, you know, th- Think about things like that. See what kinds of things you can detect or alert on. Um, all right. So for our second uh, newsworthy item, uh, I found this article about uh, this cross rat malware. It says, beware, undetectable cross rat, cross rat malware targets Windows, Mac OS, and Linux system. And I guess the thing is, hey, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a Java-based malware and therefore it's um, OS agnostic. Hmm. Okay, so the article states that that as the cross rat is written in Java, it requires Java to be installed. Okay, so that's not true. I did a little research because I seem to remember some malware that used Java and we didn't have Java installed on our lab box at the time. Uh, and <clears throat> what you can do or what the hackers can do is, is a couple of simple things, right? So one way to do it is place the JRE in a directory, extract the files using 7-zip, seven seven unpack with a Windows command, and, and then convert the pack files to jar, and then set all your paths. Boom, you have Java in a directory without the install. And there's another tool you can use also called uh, uh, Java Portable hmm. um, or JPortable Launcher. So the malware can have Java along with it. I think it's like 20 megs, something like that. So if you're in an enterprise, that takes, what, 15 seconds or less to download? So you may yeah, not maybe. notice that uh, entire Java runtime environment being downloaded. And, uh, you know, that just don't take it for granted that, oh, just because I don't have Java installed doesn't mean I can't get Java-based malware. Yeah, there's a perfect example of Java coming with a payload is uh, the Center for Internet Security Benchmarks, right? A lot of people are familiar with the CIS Benchmarks, have a checking tool. So you can run a tool that they've created. Um, it, I think it's been changed since I was working with it when I was at HP. But the entire thing was a self-standing Java app. So when you installed this thing, it just dropped the files and you could move this thing around the disk wherever you wanted it. And Java and everything you needed was inside this directory structure. So there was no installation of Java at all to make this thing work. Yeah, and also something interesting I found was that the uh, title calls it undetectable, right? It says uh, undetectable cross rep malware. But then it tells you how to detect it by looking for a run key. So I thought that was kind of an example, a double thing here. Here's two contradictory items, and you believe both at the same time. 
So uh, yeah, must be make it careful true. what you read. Uh, maybe it's um, the guy wrote the article, but then the company he posted on the the register or the hacker news actually came up with the title themselves, and they really didn't read the article that much. They just wanted the clicks. Yeah, it's similar to fileless malware. I just laugh every time I read one of these because you know we detonate the fileless malware in a lab, and like there's all kinds of files. If anybody has fileless not- malware. Send it to me. <laughs> yeah. Because they can, right? How can we get it if it's fileless? Please send me <laughs> so some fileless same kind of thing. Oh, man. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> and we'll have all the links to these stories in the show notes. All right. The next uh, third story, final story, I guess, uh, here is um, a tweet that I sent out. So we uh, we have a lab. It's Windows 10, and we also have a Windows 7 lab. And, uh, of course, when Microsoft decides to push their, their new update process, which is really an upgrade, the Windows 10 Creator up, update actually uh, completely replaces your OS. You get a Windows.old just if you were upgrading. But one of the things that happens as a part of them upgrading is they apply a default security policy to the system. And what happens there is they undo settings that have been set. And I know when I initially said this, or tweeted this out about a year ago or so when I noticed it, you know, I'm like scratching my head, why are settings undoing? I finally figured out why. It was their updates, their, their upgrades that are doing this. And one of the responses I got back from Microsoft is, well, that's what GPO is for. Okay, you know how many people, kiosks, labs, standalone systems, everybody at home that's not on a domain that doesn't have GPO and and people like me and Brian or even Martin who help our family and our businesses, my chiropractor, my accountant, and we tweak their settings so they don't get things like ransomware because we, we change .js, JSE, WSF, WSH, and HTA not to actually detonate, instead to open a notepad to protect them from getting ransomware. Yeah. They undid these settings, all the hmm. settings, the log settings, the logs that were we enabled purposefully, they undid, they changed the log sizes down to uh, too low a setting so it wouldn't record anything. And I took a snapshot of this with LogMD. Of course, how do we discover that? LogMD is awesome for this. And then I posted it on Twitter, so we'll have that in the show notes. Um, but Creator Update, if you haven't gotten it or have gotten it, and you do uh, listen to some of our stuff and things I've said in the past about the script on malware archaeology where you can go download this little fix-it script, you will have to run this very often because Microsoft at any point in time is going to apply a default policy to the box and undo some of these settings. Um, I've complained multiple times to them. They have yet to fix it, and it's really just flipping annoying. So FYI, be careful with the upgrades if you have any custom settings and you're not enforcing them with GPO. All right. The last item is TrickBot. So uh, we have some trick bot we got in the, in the emails, you know, phishing attempts, I guess you might call them. And, you know, and so we detonate them in the lab and we wanted to at least share every, every podcast. We'll try to share a unique piece of malware we get. And uh, this one's pretty typical, delivered by WordDoc with macros. You have to enable the content. So Cscript calls PowerShell, grab the dropper. PowerShell got the dropper, uh, uses a batch file after that. This is kind of unique. So if you see PowerShell calling a batch file, you see Word calling WScript or Word calling CScript or Word calling PowerShell, those would all be bad combinations. Uh, But this thing also calls a batch file. And if you do capturing like we do in the lab, we actually got a copy of the batch file. 
It stores the files in percent app data, so that's the roaming app data roaming uh, directory structure. They created the directory called local service, which is kind of different for malware. It's usually oddly named. The binary is oddly named, so it doesn't matter what, it, what I, I tell you ours copy was because it'll be different for everybody. It does also have a file called this is the dead giveaway that you have uh, Trickbot a file in the same directory called client underscore ID and group underscore tag. So those are dead giveaways of a, of a TrickBot Trojan. And a directory called uh, modules. So if you see that combination in some directory, uh, those are great artifacts to look for. You might have a system that is or was infected with, with TrickBot and have some, some artifacts left over. There are a couple patch files that get pulled down, executed out of percent temp. So the user's temp directory structure. And they do use the task scheduler services for the persistence and they named the service services update how original is that so again look at task scheduler service uh brian what's one of the things that the windows 10 creator update uh, broke it broke your task logging yeah it turns off the disables the task scheduler log Boo. oh wow that's actually i wait i have, I have <coughs> yeah but you can still catch it with the auto runs, but hey, if you run logmd, you'll 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 see what Microsoft broke when it updated your system. So you have to you sure undo will. what they did, or do what they if undid. you're running. Yeah, and you have to redo what they ended, and yeah, you're in this thing. So it broke our labs on the given day that we upgraded. It's kind of a, kind of a drag to go about fixing everything. We have, we're scripting it now, so we're, we're pretty quick on fixing it back. Uh, and that thing it does is if you're running Sysmon, you will see a name pipe connection out using PowerShell. So that's kind of a dead giveaway. And the IP uses a U.S.-based hosting service. So it's not phoning home to Russia or China or any odd place like that. It's phoning home to America. So that's that's the trick bot in the malware of the month. All right. Moving on to SiteWorthy. One of our sites here, we're, we got three. Well, uh, one of them is we have, Malpedia. We have, we have a, a soundbite. We have a soundbite. We gotta get our site. We gotta get our site. Hey, it's episode one. We'll get it down by maybe eight or ten. (laughs) (laughs) I went to a lot of work making these two (laughs) sound bites. I'm gonna use them. Darn it! (laughs) All right, go. Site worthy tag you're it. Oh, I actually have to explain explain the actual website. So Malpedia. So I I, I preach what I call malware management, and I I get asked this a lot uh, either after I do a podcast or a presentation where where can I get a lot of malware reports. I do uh, anything, anytime I come across an interesting malware report that's got decent details, meaning if you read this, there are artifacts you can pull out of that and and tweak your defenses. That is the goal of malware management. Read these analyst reports, these breach reports, these incident responder reports, these malware analysis, reverse engineering reports, and look for odd things. And, and literally what we just talked about with TrickBot are the kinds of odd things I'm talking about. And you take that and you say, am I looking for that sort of thing in my security tools? Is there a way I can check for batch files showing up in percent temp or new directories in percent app data, things like that? And you can create, uh, improve your alerts by, by practicing malware management. And so uh, Malpedia has a cool thing. When you go to malpedia.com, they list everything by family. Now, if you just randomly start going through, or let's say you're looking for... Uh, uh, Chanitor or Hanseter, uh, and a lot of times they have dual names, but they the Malpedia will give you the other name. And you click on the actual item, they'll list articles that analyzed and or discussed in detail 
that particular malware. So there are a whole lot, pages and pages of these various malware families. And you can literally start clicking through Zeus and Kilios and Killboy and Killdisk and, and actually have articles and, and links to go learn more. Uh, about so what, what you're saying is that it kind of correlates are. all the different blog articles, articles by uh, companies like Symantec, McAfee and, and everybody like that. And it sort of brings them all together so you can run through the different ones. That's correct. Great source for that kind of stuff. Cool. So add that to your uh, links, right? Links will be in the show something. So Martin, you're up. Simon.io. Yes. So um, Simon.io is one of the ones I I kind of uh, use for URL analysis. If I'm pulling in, uh, you know, as we're pulling in phishing emails, um, they have URLs. I need to throw them in a couple things. So I usually throw them in a few things, but uh, Simon.io is one of the ones that I use to um, mostly because it can, uh, first thing it does when you throw something at it is it brings up and shows you um, other associated IP addresses to it. So if you, if you've seen it, if it's seen it before um, when it was submitted in the past, if it has been, and then you can click through those, those other URLs right there and see the reports for those. But it also gives you the geolocation for it and then kind of shows you a little bit more of the history on it. So it's, it's really cool. It's very simple tool. It's very simple. You just throw the URL at it. You pulled back the information, but it, um, it, does have a API and they're working on a version two right now that's actually up and it has a lot of really cool graphing in it. They can show you a lot of really useful information on whatever it is. So you can actually search by URL or you can search by um, malware name. So if you know the type of malware you're looking for specifically, um, but if you can tie that into a, um, like a threat and tell database that you have, you can, um, you go, you can pull data back and forth and actually see, okay, well, here's the sample that I have. Has they, have they seen it? What information can I pull for them so that I don't have to manually analyze this? Okay. Well, they, they haven't seen this, so I'll move on. But if they have, then you can pull that information, pull the graph, you can pull the GOIP location. You can add that to your own threat intelligence automatically, have it sit there ready to go. So, um, it's, it's a cool little thing. I like any, anything that it's, um, you know, open source and anything that has an API, I, I tend to play with quite a bit. So now is that API free? Um, yeah. So you can get, uh, for I understand. So they have a, um, I think they have like, it's kind of like a, like virus. I think they have a, a free API that links and gives you certain things, but then I think they have a, uh, another one that they're working on for their 2.0 that, um, I believe is going to come out. It might be a, a paid for platform, but, um, for right now, yeah, you can get uh, a bearer API key and load it in there and it'll pull whatever information you can straight, just like you were on the website, but from your own system. So, All right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little confused about the version 2 uh, console. It's kind of busy. Um, I just put in LogMD just to see what it has, and I'm like, I'm not really quite sure how to uh, interpret that um, information, so hopefully they'll clean that up a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go look at it right now, actually. Yeah. See what it pulls up. Okay. And and next, next. Uh, Domain IQ, Martin. Yeah, so Domain IQ is one of the big ones I use a lot. Um, it uh, it does a lot of stuff that, um, you know, it, it, some of the others do. You know, you can do um, like reverse, uh, excuse me, reverse uh, Google AdSense on there. You can do reverse Whois tools. 
MX lookups, all this stuff inside there. But the coolest part about it uh, for me is how their API functions. And I really use this a lot because um, it's a paid for API that, that we have, but um, it allows me to pull all of this in and it can communicate back and forth. So I can submit stuff to it directly from there and pull it back. So instead of just being a REST API where I can just read from it, um, I don't have to manually go and submit and then pull it. I can actually submit it to it and from directly from my uh, threat intel database. So I'm, I'm logged into my, my DB and I just say, Hey, here's the URL I have coming in from this, from this email. I want you to run this playbook. The playbook's going to run. So it grabs this URL, throws it at it, pulls back the information, automatically adds it. And the cool thing about it is, is if I've already seen it, it will mark that and then we'll add it to that for future reference. So as I'm seeing it, it's like, okay, I've already pulled this in. So if I have two analysts that are doing, um, seeing this URL on two separate uh, systems, it will notify them immediately that there's already IOCs that match this coming from uh, domain IQ and it can create a solid case with that. And then if we see that from two, from multiple clients then we can see that that's actually a, a pretty um, large campaign that started up and we can see that really yeah. fast. It has a really cool feature that I'll point out here when we get into the uh, topics um, because uh, it, it's it's valuable, and we'll talk about it more. And then you can tell us whether or not the API can pull that, because that would be an interesting artifact to get. Mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Cool. All right. Yeah. The next item is. Tools. All right. Let's run down these quickly. These have uh, these are tools that have something to do with our topic today, which is cred stealing fishes and what to do. First one is urlscan.io. So basically, right, Michael, you put a URL into it and uh, you can actually see visually. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll talk in detail about the subjects. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, why we have this short list. And so URLscan.io has a couple items. The idea is, uh, and much like domain queues, IQ is going to fit in here as well. Uh, both URL scan.io, the first two that are in here, and URL query.net and domain IQ give you what I consider probably the most important piece of information that you're going to need when you're evaluating credential stealing emails, and that is a screenshot of the mm -hmm. URL that you entered. And we're going to explain as we do the story why that's important. And generally, the shortlist that we created for the show notes here, and I would definitely add uh, Domain IQ to the list because uh, clearly it has a lot of the, what we're looking for and you'll understand. But any site that you find, uh, when we talk about the subject and we, and we give you the bullet points of what to look for, the goal here is uh, a lot of sites have a lot of information, but it's hard to read. I want to quickly get one, two, or three things that it does really well. Go to the next site, get the one, two, or three things that it does really well. Take those six or seven artifacts and say, can I make a real quick determination so I can take action? Because the cred stealing emails, you need to take mm -hmm. action really fast. And and so the goal here is, you know, put a URL in. Does it have a screenshot? Is, is key. We'll talk about why it's important. You can use the tools information to get, you know, domain-related stuff with URL, uh, URL scan.io. And, of course, all the typical who is, ASNs, created date, which is important. Is this a 30-day-old or less website? Are they doing the domain-generating algorithm stuff? Or is this, you know, a pwn site that's been around a while? The country and the IP. 
uh, is important because the domain and the IP you can put into systems that you have, uh, log management or firewalls and block and, and all kinds of things, web proxy. So you need certain amounts of, of certain pieces of data that will help you. And urlquery.net, similar scenario, right? Uh, it has a screenshot as well. And uh, and I do prefer this because of the fact that it's U.S.-based um, versus a foreign-based one. And it does have a short blacklist item. It does have a blacklist of, of things. So you can quickly say, is anybody on this, you know, on this list know about this thing I'm looking up? The third one would be... Th- Fortigard.com web filter. We'll talk more about that later. And urlvoid.com because it also mm. gives you the country and a safety reputation. And then the domain age is real easy. These are picked. I, I, I generally pick these things. They're easy, quick on the eyes, and I can give them to level one or tier one techs is the idea. That they don't have to study or know. It's not busy. Um, and, and they can hopefully find what we, they need to to make a, a, a determination real quick. And the last one would be Cisco Talus Intelligence.com. Uh, it has a nice country map. So you can immediately, you know, if you want to do a snapshot and grab that country map, it's a pretty map there. And reputation details and the web category, real simple. It's like, has this website been categorized as malware or blog or news? Because you might want to track these things when it comes to cred stealing. Uh, emails. And that's the short, quick, uh, we'll talk more about these tools as we talk about the subject. All right. And Martin's got a tool as well. So what, what kind of tool do you recommend as manager of security solutions engineering? Um, so I have, I have a couple of them um, that I use. I mean, I, to be honest with you, one of my main tools I use is LogMD. And I'm not just saying that because I'm, I'm on with you guys. It is, it is literally like my go-to tool I use every day. Um, only because it is super, super fast to pull exactly what I need to know what's going on. Um, uh, so, you know, that's, that's my real big one. Um, my other ones are, to be honest, it's, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a toss up, but I use, um, a, a tool called Sherlock a lot, which is open here. Um, and um, my threat intelligence database because I'm I'm working very heavily on trying to um, automate a lot of this stuff coming in specifically for that. But I mean, I think that my you know one of my number one tools is is going to be LogMD only because I, I run everything through a sandbox and I'm trying to pull everything out. And it, it you know when it, our analysts have our tool sets that we have in place, um, you know we have our sandboxes. Um, and they, they run their things through there. But if it makes it to me, it means that there, there's something very out of the norm that they're seeing. And so it makes it to me, the first thing it's doing is going through LogMD. So. Excellent. Now, I just got to, before we get on our topic, you said you, you get your Thread Intel tool. I mean, what mm-hmm. value does that Thread Intel give you? So that's a really good question. I, I know that that's kind of one of those threat intel tends to be like one of those buzzwords in a lot of places. Um, I think that um, you have to gauge what you think threat intelligence is on a, on an on a, an individual basis. For me, um, my database is, is is important because it's it's known good information that I have coming in. It's verified information. It's it's data that I have vetted, that I've seen, that I've gone through. Um, but not only that, it's also a stockpile of all of our own data. So, you know, for example, just last month, I mean, the month of January, we processed just short of 3,000 Credfish emails. 
um, that's just Credfish. So out of all of that, you know, all of these IOCs that we pull in, URLs, attachments, um, all of that has to go someplace. And so for me, you know, creating this database that I can feed from and I can read from in, a, in, an, in an instant um, was really important. So my, my threat intelligence database consists of all of this. And so as we are pulling these emails in and we're processing these, I'm looking to see if we've seen this before. I'm looking to see if this is new. I'm looking to see if anyone has seen this before. So the most important part is, okay, well, we haven't seen it before. Has anyone else? And how quickly can we do that and get that information back to the customer, make sure they know that this is a, a potentially uh, malicious system, um, uh, uh, yeah, phishing I, email yeah. and we need to make sure that we're blocking this. We need to see, um, what, uh, you know, who on your, their system has gone to that URL. Um, and we need to start mitigating from there. Um, you know, we, we had a really good one last month that we were able to shut down in 10 minutes and, uh, we saved that company a lot because we saw it really fast. Um, I processed a, uh, that, that URL and we ran through all the IOCs and found all the emails that it went through in under seven milliseconds in my, out of, so, out but, of my database. So question, uh, the threat intel we're talking about is, because we're going to talk about the threat intel that's available mm -hmm. to us as you know, free tools on the internet, is, is this, uh, and part of the story we're going to talk about is, when we get the cred stealers, we're very quick. Our, our goal in IR with Brian and myself is uh, you really need to take action within an yeah. hour. So when somebody notifies you something happened within an hour, we have to be you know already taking some sort of action and or monitoring if there's no action to be taking for this item. So one of the things we discovered in the course of uh, doing this procedure that we're going to talk about was the sites gave us nothing in the first couple hours. And after a couple hours, we got one hit. And then at the end of the day, still one hit. Now, when I went back looking at an incident we had a couple weeks ago and said, I'm going to go through and apply our procedure to that URL and see what I can find 10 days later, uh, only a couple sites saw it as bad. And that was only reported three or seven days, which means it was at a minimum for a couple of these, at least three days before anybody knew about it. And even after 10 days, only four knew about it. So the threat intel, from my perspective, was really poor. You know, all these blacklists that we feed into the spam, several of these blacklists you'll see in the sites that we listed are well-known. We all have them plugged into our, you know, email gateways. You see them in all the products. Mm -hmm. So what threat intel are we talking about? Is is there something more than what we're getting out there in the public space? Or, you, have, you know, I mean, how does that work? That's, I, that's, that's a tough question to answer only because – you have to, it, it's, um, there's so much, like there's so much Intel. There's so many places that offer intelligence and, and, and an API link into like virus total and, and all these things where, you know, you can pull whatever data you need to. Uh, I think the key to it is, is getting a, a list of, of threat intelligence that, uh, is known to be good. Like a lot of people use virus total. I trust virus total. I've been going there for eons. Um, you know, but it, the key to it is, is using that intelligence properly. I think, um, cause you can have all the Intel in the world 
that you that you want. But the key is to how do you how do you uh, harness that intelligence and how do you use that? So for for you guys, you know, if you're if you're going to take a URL and you want to make sure you know that that URL is 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 known bad or known good or or something like that, you're going to submit it to like six different places and and kind of average out the score. You know, that's that's something that you know if you're going to do that manually, you can. Most of these places have APIs. You can write something where you can submit it and go to that and you pull an average score and you come back. Um, but as, as far as the intelligence comes in, you know, you have to, you have to have actionable data. You have to have actionable intelligence on, on what you're going to do with it next, because that's the most important thing for you guys. What is your next step? If you guys are uncertain about what that is, you know, you, you're not going to be able to make that next step. You're not going to know, okay, well, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this is okay here. You know, I've done that. I've done that many times. You get URLs where, you know, virus total saying, well, you know, 56 out of 70 people say this is bad, but over here I've got three more, you know, MX toolbox or I've got who is and all this other saying everything's fine. So why is that? Who do I trust? Right. I, I, you know, the, the, the conclusion I came to after this, very, and we, we just started this procedure. Uh, one of the goals here is to teach uh, people we have overseas and some other teammates and our people. We had a company that we split off to teach them how to do this. And it was surprisingly how little, and maybe it has to do with the targeted phishing, or how little these sites like MX Toolbox knew about it. And so the conclusion, which we'll talk about the, the topic of the day, is I think it's the pieces of the data in some sort of uh, list, uh, which we'll talk about here when when Brian uh, kicks us off on the topic, it, those in, are the important pieces that if you add those all together, you can come to some sort of a conclusion if it's good, bad, neutral, or I need to look at yeah. it. Yeah. It's, right, I think so. a lot of it comes to, you know, experience and, and you know, just your usage of it. Well, everybody can't have gurus, so we have to help them try to. Uh, For sure, them. and I, th- I think that's why it's important to have you know a good a good place to put this stuff. You know, <laughs> this is known to be good. This is known to be wonky. We're going to go through this, Martin, and you jump in and tell us where we're going wrong. Okay. So <laughs> our our to topic it. of the day sure. is what can you do to combat these cred stealing fishes? All right, so let's go over some of the steps. So here's some important. So after we we so again we evaluated this uh, cred stealing. It was very targeted to us. The email had a picture of our CEO. It had a the, our logo in it. It uh, purported to be something about uh, some of our business activities. It was very believable. A minor misspelling, um, and it had the proper office address and everything else of our CEO. It was very believable, and it came from a large uh, retail organization, which was one of the odd things. But again, people don't really read who it's from. They see the topic and go, oh, I'm going to read that because you know, the CEO is talking or, or some executive is talking. So we looked at this 10 days later and tried to come to a conclusion of how can somebody who, who doesn't have a lot of experience in cred stealing come to a fast conclusion before any of the threat intel really is available to conclude that this might be thread stealing if they don't have a lab. And here's what we came up with. First and foremost, number one, screenshots. Mm. So Domain IQ gives you a screenshot. Another cool feature I saw in it is that it 
gives you a history of screenshots. So over time, if you put a URL, you know, after the bad guys were to compromise that and somebody looked it up before it got compromised, you might see the two different images. And what we found in the course of this 10-day and some of the same-day fishes, that same-day fishes had no data anywhere across all these sites, is that, and I'm going to be doing a talk, and Brian and I will be doing a talk at B-Sides Austin on this very subject, and we captured all the screenshots of what what we found and what we didn't find. But the screenshot was the one thing that that if you had a little bit of thought pattern behind it, you could say, that's a credential ceiling page. That's that's not this normal way login should look for this kind of topic. And immediately kind of guide the person to say, that's not cool, man. So I, I'd love to know if APIs allow us to get a copy of the screenshots because that'd be, that'd be a very yeah, cool that, that's a Yeah, that's a very manual thing, though. You actually have to take the time to look at the screenshot of mm-hmm. the um, of the web page itself. But you can quickly tell when it says, hey, choose AOL, uh, yeah, you know, Microsoft, yeah. Google, Office 365, you know, choose whatever right. email you want and just log in. That's an indicator yeah. there, it, big red flag. Uh, so if you know now, what you're looking for, you can you can you can basically determine that it's a cred stealing uh, fish right away. Now the other thing which so far has not lend us well, and I have picked on this particular subject. Uh, if you have an advanced attacker in malware. You know, the whole domain generating algorithm, right? The concept that bad guys can generate brand new domains and therefore don't show up any blacklists. Well, there are tons and millions and millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of websites out there that don't have much of a reputation, but have been around forever. Mm -hmm. In our case, so we want to pull the artifact of domain age up. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the fishes, we threw this procedure through. uh, The one that came from the executive had been up and running for three years. So it wasn't going to fall under this, oh, it's 30 days thing, which everybody would immediately kind of yeah. think, right? So Basically, what they're doing the domain age, is they're hacking websites that have been up for a while. So this was a, like a Brazilian website. It was in uh, a language other than English, and they put an English-looking page up on that website. Yep. Uh, obvious thing is the blacklist. So the stuff that we normally think we're going to look at over time, this becomes more powerful, right? Once people start reporting it, it will show up. So if you're looking at some of these websites we mentioned, uh, at some point, blacklist will list that this thing's malicious. And like I said, in the 10 day scenario, when we looked at this, four sites, uh, some, and some, oddly enough, the bigger ones had it in there. I think McAfee was one of them, uh, Trend Micro, Semantic, I think Semantic, uh, uh, McAfee, Semantic, um, Fortigard, and I forget the other one that had it as, as a malicious site. Um, the category of the site. Now, this was an interesting conversation with a coworker that uh, you can in your web proxies as well as your, your DNS solutions like, you know, Zscaler, OpenDNS, whatever, or Cisco Umbrella now, uh, be able to determine whether or not you want your users to surf and kind of set that category. Do you want do you want these categories? What if it's uncategorized? So that's another artifact is look for uncategorized yeah. because they're taking advantage of something that's going to be under the radar, right? Um, and with that goes reputation. Uh, is it known bad? Is it neutral? Is it good? So generally, a lot of these sites so far that we looked at are neutral, no category, no blacklist, old domain age, but they have a screenshot that's obviously bad. Right. And that's the other thing. So then you look at, well, where is this domain country? So what Brian pointed out, we saw one that was in India. We saw one that's in Brazil. We've also had one in the U.S. So the country may be something you look at and say, 
that email is going to the CEO, but the things in Brazil, that doesn't make mm. sense. So that might be a dead giveaway to the analyst without labbing this thing to look at it. And then another item, right? Uh, so you hear some consultants talk about, well, look at the Alexa rating. How popular is this website? And maybe don't let your user surf, which is, I would not love to not let the user surf at the top, you know, I don't know, 10 million websites and turn off everything below the 10 million mark. Um, so the Alexa rating will give you some piece of information. Now, we're going to start tracking this as this procedure will be tracked in a wiki as we do these cred stealings to try to see if there's a pattern. Uh, because this is the only information that kind of went, yeah, this is a cred stealer. The screenshot being the number one thing that was a dead giveaway because you can see the stupid login page or the selection of which one, which of the federations you want to use. you know, And you've got a dr- Dropbox or a DocuSign email. It won't be serving you up anything but uh, DocuSign or Dropbox logins. If you see a multi-login like AOL, Officer 65, you know, other email, you definitely have a cred stealer. And so the screenshot was was really, really uh, important there. Anything you got to add, Martin? Um, no, I mean, I, I agree. I think that the screenshot is a big one. I mean, that's one of the number one things we see in, in you know, when we're when we're, when I'm running these in a, in a, in my lab is I'll I'll click on this link on the sandbox and I'll watch it go to this to the site and I'll look at them and be like oh, this is obviously completely different and even the DocuSign ones you know sometimes you get a DocuSign one where it's not even an actual login credential it's just a uh, HTML page and when you click on it it then forwards you <laughs> like it's, it was just an image sitting on the page when you clicked on it so um, the screenshot is definitely a big one. Um, I think that's one of the easiest ways to kind of see what uh, if something is legitimate or not coming in. But you know, again, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, is it as a user? Um, how am I going to how am I going to know that? Yeah, yeah. This is the, what we're talking it's, about is not designed for the user. It's designed it's, for the it's IT, designed for the IT, the and, techs, and I yeah, get that. So I'm, you know, people. when you're when you're trying to shut something down or you see something happening, what's the fastest way to do it from an IT perspective? Um, yeah. I want my users to report it. If they report it, we can take action, block, revoke. You know, we can pull back uh, messages and, and things like that, right? You can go to Exchange and say, yank all these messages. Yeah. It takes a while. But, of course, uh, you know, we everything we get gets evaluated in, in a lab with LogMD because uh, we have a little script, mm-hmm. uh, which is in a presentation that we're going to be giving at B-Sides that we'll, we'll give away, that grabs the domains that are called. Because often these uh, – and we've seen this a couple times now where – you get, a, you get a URL in the email, but the URL is not bad. All they do is take you to a site that redirects to the back-end cred stealer on some other website. So you need possibly two domains. We block the cred stealer. We ignore the front end. We've had a campaign where uh, three different emails use three different originating URLs, but they all went in the, over the course of, I think, about a week, but they all went to the same back-end cred stealer site. Mm. So once we blocked it on, let's say, Monday, and the one came out on Wednesday, and the one came out on Friday, we had already blocked the cred stealer, so we didn't have to take action. We don't want to chase URLs by going after the site that is redirected. We want the end site, and this is where LogMD, where you click through everything. Click on the cred stealer. Put in real important people. Put in fake credentials, because once you put in fake credentials, you'll have other things occurred. We've had pop-ups asking for a pin 
or, a, or an access code, which means maybe they're doing MFA phishing. Mm-hmm. We've been redirected to, to stories to try to legitimize it. Um, we, we've seen things happen after you attempt to log in, sometimes just dropping you off on the on the Dropbox help yeah. page in one case, right? So uh, be sure to click through on these in the lab and LogMD will give you the IP addresses that you then can you know search your log management and or block with the networking and or the domains and you put in your Plus your you're testing your IDS if your IDS happened to pick some up. I've noticed that it does pick up some of this and you can see clear text on the wire, things like that as well. Or uh, if it knows about that particular site, you can test your IDSs as well. Yeah, that's a All good right. point. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't rely on your IDS because again, nope. if it is HTTPS, boom, you know, you're out of luck. If it isn't, uh, if it's a weird and not, you know, they, they crafted the form page not to be a perfect, you know, autofill kind of thing that a password manager would use, the, the IDS won't see those same fields of username and password and, and alert you. Yeah. So I wouldn't rely on it, but we, we have gotten some triggers on those kinds of HTTP pages. Uh, why don't you take us through the uh, steps to take, Brian, and we'll we'll interject on those. Well, step number one is you need to have some kind of alert, right? Some some type of thing go off where you are notified. Now, this could be where you've set certain keywords uh, to go off in your uh, in your email gateway, or um, you you have users that see these that that see something. Hey, this website doesn't look right, and they alert you. Okay, so you got to get it in your in your inbox somehow, right? Mm. And, yeah, and this is your user awareness training, right? This is a yeah. thing you want your users yeah. to do is report it. And we have some users that are very good who get a lot of this stuff. They're targeted who send us stuff, and it's awesome because they automatically do it from their phone or whatever. And the earlier I can get this, the mm-hmm. earlier we can evaluate it. Your your well. CFO and uh, your C level. Um, uh, administrators Executives. right need to know how to uh, spot these. Okay. Yeah. Second second thing Very is get a copy of the email. So ask the user if they report it, have them send them have them send a copy of the email. So you have the original one, they can forward it to you as an attachment, something like that. Then you can evaluate an actual copy, right? Mm-hmm. So the copy that like you get from the help desk may not be useful to you or may not have the right stuff in context. Yeah, there's like, I know you've seen these, Martin, right? They have an image. And then when you embed an image in an Outlook message, you can actually put a URL. So when they click the image to look at the image, mm-hmm. it actually launches the yeah. URL. The help desk software sometimes or the help desk solutions will strip that or separate it. And so you don't get the same context to say... Well, that doesn't look like it would fool anybody, but yet when you look at the original message, you're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." Okay. yeah especially if you're so like, if you if you're asking that like the user forwards you the email, that can that that tends to screw things up too. Uh, so you get yeah, you, yeah. it loses a lot of content like that um, as an example. So it's it's usually better to to have them you know show them how to go through and show you you know get you the original email and bundle that up and send it to you as a zip or something, um, or even yeah. as a dot email and and you can pull it out. Um, I have a Python script I wrote that parses out .emails. So it, uh, I pull it all out and then I throw it up into there and I have each individual thing um, catted out so I can see everything that it's done. Um, URL, headers, all that stuff. So, um, yep. yeah. User training is really, really important for that because that's, you know, if you're, if there's a, uh, there has to be a level of training you do with your users who have to know where do I send this email? 
how do I identify it? What's the easiest way I identify it? Right. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, if it's an external email, have, have your email system flag it as an external email. And it's also important to make sure that everybody in the organization knows, even if they happen to click on it and fall for it, and it doesn't seem like anything happened, like it was something that was a mistake or, or things like that, or they double click a link or something and it, and it, nothing happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure that nothing happened. So they should be aware that even if they did fall for it to notify you anyway, after the fact, because you could totally save their butt and the company's butt if they are able to notify you in time. Right. And it's yeah, embarrassing uh, to no end if you're the one who gets your cred stolen and you're sending out thousands of emails to everyone in the company from your email address. Yeah. The, the fallout from that is just, uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. So yeah. After yeah. the fact, people, people send that email to security, even if you did enter credentials and you got some weird thing going on. I would recommend, uh, we did this, we just had this, all right, with three people. I don't think one of them had to do with phishing, but we had three people rewarded with uh, gift cards, Starbucks gift mm -hmm. cards, to encourage people to report this kind of stuff. Uh, one of them was the 401k fraud we had discussed last month in last month's podcast. But rewarding people is much better than shaming them. Why did you click on this? Because that's how they'll take it. Oh, I feel so embarrassed. Yeah, embarrassment. So you really have to encourage your people to report it. It's a good thing. It really helps us. Please be honest. <laughs> You know, you, you, you have an internet login that doesn't have two-factor. You really need to be honest because, you know, you can get owned. Um, but we'll talk about that area here in a second. Number three. Yeah, evaluate the URL. This is the next step. When you get a uh, cred-stealing fish, uh, make sure that you evaluate or make sure that you have a URL to evaluate. And, and I've seen uh, attachments in emails that have the URL inside the attachment, like a PDF mm -hmm like that so yeah open that sucker up in a lab and visit the url um, make sure you're recording where the system goes like in a malware lab um, use logmd or some other tool to uh, you know capture whatever's going on in that environment you don't know whether there's some oday going on um, or or it's just a simple cred stealer so make sure you open it in a lab yeah. don't use your real system okay yeah could be a dual purpose PDF, right? Got some JavaScript in there for Adobe Ponage. So yeah, you'd have to be careful what's possibly in there. And, and again, the PDFs are used because it bypasses the URL scanners that a lot of email gateways uh, that have advanced features have. So that's why they embed the, the documents. We even had Word docs that have URLs in them, a little box, click on it, just to get around those URL scanners. Yeah, and, the, and you never know if there's a new browser exploit out there that takes advantage of that. All right. Now it's important you have a lab, but I think a big goal of this this uh, talk on on our podcast is you need a way to evaluate this without a lab because that's one of the goals we set out to doing the procedure was uh, if Brian and I are at a conference and one of these things hit as fast as these bad actors are hopping on or trying to utilize these creds, we need our other people. You know, they have access to the consoles to block this stuff. So they need to have enough information that they can evaluate it, call us, and maybe through, you know, our phones or whatever, we can say, yep, that's a good one. And we want that time of evaluation to be as short as possible. Thus, why these sites and this procedure got created, because they don't have the lab to deal mm -hmm. with this stuff. You know, Brian and I have the lab, and, and we're the ones that detonate stuff on, a, on an isolated circuit. 
Number four. Yes. I, I just wrote that down and was like, oh, don't don't forget that. But yes, block the URL. Right. When you get these and you enter the uh, enter some fake credentials in it and you look at the URLs that it visited, make sure you block these right away so that whoever gets this or visits the email or I'm sorry, looks at the email and visits the site right after you evaluated it, don't wait. Block the URL in some sort of a proxy or whatever, or, or in the firewall, right? You can block that IP address in the firewall um, and make sure that no one else visit that site. Uh, basically, cut the head off the snake as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Limit how many people potentially get exposed to it. Now, it's important on a blocking URL, you do need a web proxy of some sort. If your company does not have one, then blocking URL is not an option. Another thing to understand is if your web proxy is an in-corporate only, right? So when you go to work and you surf at work, the proxy's in play. When you leave and go to a hotel or you're traveling or go to a customer or whatever, and you're not on site, your proxy may not help you. So when you put a block in, you have an exposure mm-hmm. of the people that are outside your company at a Starbucks at home, VPNing in, uh, may get you through the proxy uh, depending on how the traffic's routed, it should, should if it's VPN'd it's in. Right, a yeah. lot of people, when you're not VPN'd in, don't have any protection. You need to understand what that gap is, which is why you'll it'll make sense why the the next couple items are incredibly important. Yeah, and then and then next, you you should basically find out or or enter your IPs in some sort of a log management solution and find out who else went there in the past, I don't know, 24 hours or whenever the the email hit, you can go back a week, right? Mm -hmm. Find out who else visited that site. Um, Yeah, this is how we found when the people multi-cred, you know, the multiple creds programs, and they were low and slow. They were like two and five and three. Uh, But because we put that original cred ceiling IP in there, when the other two incoming emails, they triggered that. And we have a little lookup list. We can easily go, that IP is this cred stealer. Uh Uh-oh. And then we immediately can contact people and say, send us that email. And we can see and walk it through and go, ah, look at that. Same back end. So it is important. If you don't have your firewall logs and log management for all your offices, uh, that is incredibly powerful. You really should take a look at that. Yeah. You need to know who went where and when. Yeah. So if let's say you got 10 people that got the email, you accounted for five of them, but there's five others that you either couldn't get a hold of or you don't have log management on them or maybe they're out of the office for some reason. Maybe they're on vacation. What do you do in that case? Yeah. And you don't have a tool on there that you can maybe, you know, I don't know, like a remote uh, monitoring tool or some sort of EDR where you can actually do a remote console to the box and poke around the logs. Well, so uh, this is this uh, is a challenge. So I, I, I guess, it, you know, depending upon who, who it is, you know, and depending upon what how the severity of of what you're seeing, I mean, you have a. a if, ransomware, for example, comes in. Last thing you want is that account being able to link to mapped drives while they're out, but they're not responding. Best way to do it, lock their account and change yeah. their password. Because then they have to contact you yep. and they cannot connect to any drives. Yep. Number five was monetary IPs. Number six is consider fast and mass disabling of accounts. That's it right there. You <laughs> want them to get a hold of you and you want them to not be able to access the network. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's painful. Uh, the more people you have, the more painful it'll be. 
But unfortunately, why this procedure got created, we want our people who are on daytime and where it's our nighttime, if this comes in, to be able to deal with this and, and start conditioning our company that, look, we don't have a choice. When it's this many users, we can't possibly get a hold of them at night. You're going to have to disable these accounts and painfully get the help desk guys to uh, start dealing with the problem. Because you don't want something accidentally logged in while we're asleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and real real story, um, we disabled some accounts, and then twenty minutes later, we saw the guys try to log in, the hackers try to log in to those accounts that we disabled because yeah. we couldn't get a hold of the people in time. We were like, dude, just disable their accounts. Yep. And we had a twenty minute window, and and they would have totally owned those accounts and started stealing information, basically downloading all their emails, see what they can gather, and then sending more fishes from those email addresses to internal people. And that's a trusted source right there if, yeah. if a coworker starts That's when it starts to get messy is when, when you start having the actual CFO sending real emails to everyone. Yes. Yeah. Another thing, if you can, if, if for people who have log management, consider your exchange logs or your mail server logs, whatever you're using, and get them into your log management solution for nothing more. And this is probably our number one email used queries are uh, emails by sender, email by subject. So when the subject comes in, that's funky, you know, uh, DocuSign, blah, 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 blah. And it has some number or date. We know that that possibly is going to morph between users. So we go, you know, splat, DocuSign, splat. And we can say, show us all the people that got this subject. You'll get some false positives. And then take the uh, sender and put that in the sender as well. And between the two, you can determine whether they're using multiple senders with multiple subjects or just one sender with multiple subjects or multiple senders with one subject. And they've been hugely, hugely valuable because it provides you that list of people that got the email of the accounts you might need to mass disable and or monitor. And, and number seven, also, if you have access to your mail servers and you're able to do this and you know what the messages are, so you got them logged, you can go into your mail server and recall those messages, right? So, so the people who haven't even opened them yet won't even get them. It basically deletes them from their inbox. All right, reduce how many people uh, can get them. Or have your IT people do it. If you don't have access as a security person, separation of duties, then have your email. Okay, so sure. after the fact, you also might want to monitor some uh, internet-facing accounts, right? So if you have OWA or whatnot, um, you can monitor those non-two-factor email logins. So set yeah, yourself if you, up. If you don't have two-factor. Bob's account gets uh, gets logged into, send your, send an email to yourself and say, hey, Bob, I, I noticed you uh, logged in from Shanghai. Was that you? I generally don't ask where they are because I know where they are based on the log data. I let them tell me and between and how they answer will give me an idea of who am I talking to. Uh, we had a case where um, <laughs> the, the retail vendor I, I was talking about uh, – uh, we had another person, another entity uh, get a communication from that vendor that said, hey, I'm having a problem sending you emails. The bad actor was actually having a communication with one of our uh, people they were trying to interact with and the help desk person trying to figure out why they weren't receiving the emails. It turned out that user had been compromised and it was the bad actor communicating with our people. So, uh, yeah, you have to be wow. careful there. So you really do want to monitor who gets these things. And how I found that was searching for, did anybody else get an email from this domain? And that's how I saw the communicate. And so I called the help desk guy going, what are you talking about with this 
oh, they're having a problem sending us email. Yeah, don't receive those email. You know, stop talking to that guy. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me, give me the name, and and we provided that to the vet retail vendor who then validated. It. Yes, that account had also been. And that closed. reminds me, don't email the person that got fished that mm-hmm. may have had their credentials stolen, because then you're just talking to the attacker at that point. Oh yeah, yep. man, everything's good. I didn't enter my creds in that that website or whatever, man. I'm okay. That's why I ask people, where are you, where are you in the world? And then they have to answer correctly because, you know, we yep. know. Phone, phone but call yeah, never it's hurts. Important if, no. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, if it's in the time zone, they're online, we, we definitely do that or, or I am them as well. The the monitoring, you know, if you do not have two-factor everywhere, not, not everything will have two-factor. VPNs may have two-factor, but you'll have some internet-facing solution that's not two-factor. You will need to monitor that. And the list of recipients is the list that you'll want to monitor. Yeah, and this goes back to asset management. What what kind of things do you have that are two factor and aren't two factor? I mean, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and you could get into a pickle if you don't know, right? Yeah. So consider everything, right? Your email, your VPNs, your cloud storage. You may your company may use a, a, a HIPAA approved cloud storage or something uh, that has an internet login. If you have not had that disabled, so that could potentially be a target. So are you logging that cloud? those cloud events into your log management solution. That's, that's possibly a way to steal data. Uh, do you have any virtual desktop solutions? You know, do you have an, a, you serving up virtual desktops to your developers and that's sitting on the internet without two factor. I mean, there's all kinds of things to consider that might be out there. AWS environment doesn't have two factor. All those things are going to be potential targets of these creds. Yes. Teams. And that brings us to number 12 monitor for password resets to make sure that, that you got everybody. So, um, if you have a list of users that got the email, check for password resets as well. Yeah, there is an event ID that will tell you that a user had some action against their password, no whether it was changed or, yeah, there is, believe it or not. <laughs> Your domain controllers have it. <laughs> so look it up, and then you can look at the user account name, match it against the list of recipients, and literally use that as a check. Because if you just say, okay, reset all these and just assume they happened, you know, what are we in the business for? Trust but verify. We have to verify that those recipients got their passwords changes if you did a mass and fast reset. Yeah, and that brings us to number 13, Martin. Contact the user by phone. Yep. Definitely. Oh, 100%. Especially, yeah. it, it, and I, you know, that's easy when you have, you know, five or six, you've narrowed it down to the, you know, the five or 10 people who, who clicked on that link, um, you know, get a hold of them on the phone. You know, if you can't, you know, move on to, to the other steps of, of, of account disabling. But, you know, if you, if you get a hold of them on the phone and they can verify who they are, then, you know, that is the best way to identify that you are speaking to the person you're supposed to, because if you're trying to speak through compromised means, yeah. they won't sound probably the same as your users because the language will not be their native language. <laughs> you, more than you language. would hope. You would hope. Because you could have work in that country. If they're really good, they would come from that country to make it so it's hard. But uh, so question for you, Martin, do you contact the sender once you get this under under grips? You know, we we reached out to our retailers or we had actually had another one of our analysts reach out to the to the people that got compromised mm-hmm. or after we're done, if it's small, you know, I'll call the entity. And, and surprisingly, most of the time they already know what occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, this big retailer did not know until they investigated our data. Um, but do you contact the actual sender of the fish and say, yeah, you know, this person is sending 
you know, known malicious emails you might want Absolutely, to Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we have so we have different playbooks that we we play out for for each of the the different customers we have, but um, we try and have some universal things. That's one of them. You know, when we when we see something that we, comes in and and it's is known malicious, um, as soon as we hit that you know, we, we have a case built. Um, once we build that case, it automatically notifies the customer and says, Hey, um, this is what we found. We found known malicious. It's been reported to us. It, these are all the people we're seeing and who have reported it to us. You, you know, and then it notifies their IT and that's when their IT goes and follows your list. Okay. What do we do? Let's go through, find out who all uh, has been to these IP addresses that they provided to us. We give them all the IOCs, so they have that information. So we are we are essentially labbing all of this for them. So then they'll. So the compromised sender definitely gets uh, ends up getting the uh, <laughs> the data that we've discovered that somebody has had their account compromised. Now that's an important point. Just because it comes from you know some d- vendor, I'm not. I'm just going to use Home Depot because they're down mm. the street. You know, it looks like it came from Home Depot. You've got to look in your SMTP logs to make sure that you know your log, your your actual gateway logs. Did it actually come from did, them? Did it pass? Did it all pass the, SPF? The did it pass DKIM? Right. Do you have exactly. DMARC in place? Okay. Well, did it get past all that? Okay. Those are the telltale signs. Right. And if it and if it didn't, it could be spoofed. So don't be contacting Home Depot and say, "Hey, you sent us that, a bad email." And that's the thing. If you didn't do so your homework, some of the big ones that we see, and some of the more complicated, uh, c- complex ones we see, are are compromised accounts from other systems. So a compromised account from, say, Home Depot, as an example, um, can send a legitimate email to you. It would pass all of those necessary things with the exception of sometimes if you have DMARC in place, that limits the domain that can send as that person. Um, but, um, you know, you would see that come in. We see that often, um, you know, and that's you have to have a really good, a really keen eye for that. Um, I used to have a yeah. CFO that was really, really good at spotting phishing emails. And for, for a CFO, I mean, I, I used to tell him all the time. I, I, he got a lot, probably. <laughs> you know, I did. So he would, he would report them on a regular basis. And I'm from experience. Every single time, I'm like, I had, you, know, you are on it. And I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you doing that because he, you know, he had a keen eye for this stuff. And sometimes I'd look at it and go, man, like even I had a hard time identifying that that was a spoofing email, but he, Right away, he'd send it over, and I'm like, and he's good and good at it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what <laughs> yeah. you want. We, we, we're slowly training our executives as well because they are definitely heavily targeted. Yeah, they're the ones you need to train, and their executive assistants as well. Don't forget about them because they're usually reading all the emails first mm-hmm. and For clicking sure. all the links before they even get to C <laughs> level. You got to watch them as well. Friendly, that's compromised by yeah, proxy. Friendly. Yes, it's right. Get friendly. And it's just as bad. About their their family, yeah, definitely, definitely love. Give them some love. Share the love. Number fourteen. Yeah. Um. Once it's all said and done, a great way to, to, you know, kind of make the case if there needs to be any types of improvements. Correlate this all in a in a report, right? Find out what happened, where did it come from, and then most importantly, what improvements can be made to avoid this, or mitigate this, or even prevent this in the future. Yeah, in our tracking of these uh, several incidences where, you know, users were definitely clicking on stuff, right? And they, they do fall for We have a very low fortunate success rate because we hop on these so fast and cut it off. 
that uh, the report helps us say, what's the gap here? And one of the gaps we identified in this last one was it came out before Brian and I were in the office when our overseas people were still in the office. So that's why we built this procedure to step through that we're going to have them start executing on and, and pay close attention to because we do have this uh, buzzword list of, of every time we get a fish, we're like, can that can we can we pull a, a buzzword out of here that and and yes, when you look at subject buzzwords, you will get false positives, but you can exclude those domains. We have a lookup list that has exclusions of known good domains. So DocuSign coming from DocuSign.net is okay. DocuSign coming from somebody at Gmail or I'll well, pick a Home Depot again. It's somebody at Home Depot, not okay. And so it, you can filter some of this out to make it so it might be more obvious. And we want these people to be involved to be able to look and see and possibly hop on this and be prepped by the time we get in there or text us as we're getting ready to leave for work to say we've got this information and at least some of that front-end work has occurred and we can take some action cutting off possibly, you know, one, three, four hours from our from our work when we first get in in the morning. Um, and literally, we got out of our stand-up and, you know, 9 a.m., boom, you know, we're slammed with this thing and it happened to me. Brian was out with his family sick. I had to deal with it. And, you know, I'm throwing stuff at other people to start doing the chase <laughs> because, you know, I want to collect stuff. And Brian's chasing down users, and I'm trying to figure out who all got it and how many, because it was it was a couple hundred. And uh, you know, getting the getting the recall done, the things that could mitigate, slow it down. But if the, if the, if the guys had worked on that, you know, an hour and a half earlier before they'd gone home, uh, we, we possibly could have uh, cut that problem in half. Is my thinking. So, um, yeah, what improvements can you make? Are, is there a technology gap here? You know, this one system still doesn't have two-factor, and we caught logins to it, or we caught a login attempts to it after we changed the user accounts. We really need to get two-factor here. So you have a golden opportunity to take a real event that definitely had an impact and try to improve your environment. So that's huge. And did you not see something? Maybe something Brian and I have to improve to do better monitoring or tweak our rules. We, we've occasionally done that when we've created some rules we think they might work, and we get an event we're like, that didn't trigger quite like I thought. Oh, let's look at the data. Oh, if I tweak this, it'll be better next time. And then the next time it works better, right? So it's a constant cyclical improvement process that you have to look at. These reports can definitely, it gives the ammo to the to the CISO to say, I need this stuff fixed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Give them the ammo. Give them the data that they need to help make the case to get these things in the environment, right? So, so basically, they they need budget. Right. And who gets budget without having some data to back up that budget? It's, it's hard, you know, to purchase things in today's corporations. You need, you need to justify it somehow. And if you're justifying it by saying, yeah, we get a lot of these and we need to try and, you know, mitigate it somehow, that's not going to fly. You need the data to back it up. Yeah. A good report is, is definitely worth a lot because, and you've documented a potential risk that now, you know it's been reported, and so if something bad does go down, and somebody didn't get their you know thing implemented. Uh, somebody can literally say, uh, "We told you about yeah, this." Yeah, it's a kind of a CIA a moment. Month. Right. So next is so, uh, update your processes. Yeah, definitely lessons learned. Right. Take what you know. See how you can improve your alerting, your protections. Okay. Right. Yeah, you're trying to think of it from if you have an overseas entity that, you know, you're around the clock shop, they can be working while you're yep. sleeping. So, you know, as I've learned from dealing with the Chinese and gaming, you really need that. And so that loops back to why the tools are selected and why those artifacts now become important is 
uh, a non-lab option to look for these cred-stealing things. You know, if you ask us or if you send us a, a, a Slack channel comment or an email that says, well, how do I look for these cred-stealers? Um, you'll have to attend or wait till we release the B-Sides Austin talk to see what some of these screenshots look like. Uh, we will be releasing it. There's quite a few. We have, I don't know, probably six, seven, eight different cred stealing. They all look very similar. Not identical, but similar. They're real obvious. And so um, that won't be in these show notes. It will be in the Prezo uh, that we release at Besides Austin. So Mauer Archaeology will have a link to SlideShare where that presentation here in two weeks will be posted. So if you want to ask those questions, wait until after you see that presentation and look at the screenshots. We have what the emails look like as well as what the cred stealing looks like, as well as some of the things that occurred after you attempted to log in. Um, and so understand that flow and, and start collecting these yourself and, and definitely document what you're getting. And Martin, anything to add? I mean, how do you, how do you guys detect these emails? How do they come into you? So, I mean, you know, we have, you know, a lot of the basic stuff that, that, that you would want to put in place, you know, you've got, your your SPF, you had your DCAM, um, you know, a lot of the things like O365 and uh, a few others have the ability to put a big red stripe across the top of email so that it says this is external. Um, so someone's trying to sp uh, spoof you or, or sending an external an email from external telling you that they're your CFO, but it's a big red stripe on the top that's kind of a dead giveaway that that email didn't actually come from the CFO. That's a um, good point. Give, give your users some a something visual, right? something yeah, visual thing. always helps. If you can give them yeah. a big red stripe at the top of the email, email that says, this is not from an internal source. Um, that really, really helps. Um, yeah. We got an email uh, from a provider, a customer member, whatever the hell they are. Uh, somebody that does business with us and we capture encrypted PDFs as a part of uh, our email gateway, right? We, Brian and I get copies of them. And in this, you know, encrypted PDF, when you open the actual mail message was big red block warning in red letters. This originated from the internet. Do not open any URLs or attachments unless you are certain they are from who mm -hmm. they say they're from. You know, and we're like, wow, that's loud. Yeah. I'm like, that's the loudest one I've ever seen. It was really bold and right smack. Like, I don't know what it, the weird part was. It was like halfway down the page instead of being at the top. So a little harder if it was lengthy email. So I would say put these at the top. So it's the first thing that the user sees. Yeah. And you, you have to imagine that they got nailed really bad at some point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, some of the other stuff, like if it, if, if you're really concerned about it, um, you know, you're a health agency and you're really concerned about, um, you know, getting your systems compromised and losing, you know, HIPAA related information, stuff like that. You can even go as far as having, you know, putting in a, an email sandboxing system where it'll sandbox all attachments coming in before the users even get it to their inbox. You know? Yeah. We're finding that our, our sandbox solution for this isn't doing a very good job and, of this. And we don't have any control to say, can you turn this up a notch? Cause it's, or, you know, it's built into the gateway. Yeah. So they know DKIM, they know SPF, they know TLS connections. And I'm a little surprised at how many get through. But then when I evaluate them, I'm like, oh, well, there's nothing to trigger. There's, it's not known bad anywhere, which is the number one yeah, thing. Yeah, and that's, and that's, the, that, that's the difficult part is getting that rule set down and, and building a, a really good 
playbook for these systems can be kind of kind of cumbersome. And that's why it's good to find one that works well for your system. I know O365's got one built into it. Um, you know, you've got things like Proofpoint and Mimecast and all these that that do um, you know, email gateways for for the stuff coming in and you can attach stuff to those and do all kinds of things branching out from that. Um, so, I mean, if it gets bad enough, you can really put some technology in place that can, you know, basically watch anything with a URL coming in. I want you to strip, strip all hypertext out. So nobody gets, nobody yeah. gets a hypertext when, when they get an email, you have to copy and manually paste your, your, that. All your marketing people will hate yeah, you. Yeah, they will. But you know what? It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it comes down to, okay, well, which would you rather have an, an, an angry marketing guy or, you know, but you can disable that for internal to internal and you can disable that for external. You, you can enable that something like that for it's just external, un, uh, external unknown coming in, disable hypertext. Um, and, you know, you can you can set that, you know, there's there's these little nuancey type things that you can do. Some people look at it and go, OK, well, that's a little extreme, but. You know, when it comes down yeah, to it, hovering isn't good enough for our users. Come on, you can hover over it. How many times have we told a user just hover just over it? Just hover like, over yeah, it. No. But you know, sometimes it you know, work. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I think you guys would probably be honest with me too. Even on, even the best security guy has clicked on something they shouldn't have at some point. Oh yeah. So. Oh, yeah. You know, you you take you take someone who's like myself. I'm constantly looking at these and constantly going through this stuff. Um, but I can't say that I've never not clicked on something I shouldn't have. So then you have normal users. How could you expect them to do that every single time? You can't. Exactly. So, Unfortunately, we have script blockers and ad blockers, yeah. so the probability of that thing that might be on that web page won't nail us. But you never know. Yeah. So you you have to have something in place, and if it gets bad enough, and if your environment is large enough, you really should put something in place. You have five hundred thousand plus employees. You need to have something in place that can they yep. can watch this sort of stuff. So now we loop back to, you know, the tools that we mentioned, uh, the websites of where you can go get this information. Uh, Martin, you definitely provided a good one with Domain IQ because it definitely has that screenshot. Yeah, it's a good one. But again, screenshots, Domain Age, Blacklist, you know, is it in any Blacklist? And the lack of information also. If you got something that looks like a, a cred stealer and it's not on a Blacklist, you know, you can submit it to uh, Safe Browsing. Oh, that was the other safe part that browsing. I forgot to mention. Yeah. Uh the one, the email that we listed uh, that I did the check at the end of the day, uh, it turned out that though nobody listed it blacklisting except for FortiGuard, uh, both Chrome and then Firefox now uses and, and, and gives credit to Chrome's safe browsing. This came, this is a, a, a suspect's website from safebrowsing.com. So both Chrome and Firefox knew it was, you know, the big red screen popped up and said, hey, this is a, a suspicious site. But yet both IE and Edge didn't say a word and let me go to it, no problem. So I think early signs are somebody finds it. In this case, it just happened to be FortiGuard. Uh, in, in two cases, we've investigated FortiGuard was number one. But um, I'm sure as we do 100 of these, we'll find that there'll probably be four vendors that are first, and therefore it's a, it's a hit or miss. But surprisingly, the browsers knew about them becoming bad from people probably like us submitting these to safe browsing mm -hmm. and Google encourages that, but virus total did not know it was bad. So how can safe browsing know it's bad, but then virus total is not. Cause so I know from dealing with right? them. No, Google yeah. owns uh, virus total. Yeah. 
So, but they are different entities. And, and if you want to submit something to Google, safe browsing is their entry point. So yep. If you want to say, I found, I found something bad. I want to submit to VirusTotal. No, you want to submit it to safe browsing. They're, do the submission page. It will eventually feed into VirusTotal. That is how the Google process works. You would think. You would think. That's what they told me. I specifically asked one of their guys when we had that scenario where we couldn't get a Google Drive taken down. Remember that? It took us like, what? Three, four days yeah, to get a Google, days drive, at least. Google Drive taken down. And it's like, where do I report this? And it finally came that, yes, safe browsing will eventually pass it on. You know, imagine how much data they must get. They will pass it on to the appropriate party, but that is our entry point. I'm like, wow, I'm looking at a Google Drive, but I got to send it to safe browsing? Okay. Um, so a little, little hard for, I think, people to, to remember that. But but that's how it loops back. All the sites we gave you, they're in the show notes. These bullets that are going to be in the show notes uh, and the stuff we talked about will help you try to build a process uh, to potentially do this outside of a lab as well as obviously in, inside of a lab, however you want to evaluate the URL. I mean, simply opening up the URL in a browser, you don't really need any bells and whistles there. But if you do want to harvest things like uh, domains, we do harvest the DNS logs with LogMD. Uh, we will also show you a little trick with the IP config, flush DNS and display DNS after you uh, launch this thing you can use. And then, of course, the IPs. Um, gather that information and then start hunting and blocking and uh, recalling as fast as you humanly can. And, and hopefully you won't have to do a fast and mass reset. Martin, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Don't click links. <laughs> click no links. Um, click no oh, links. Everybody needs to click random, click links. random links. It's sometimes it's fun. We, um, we, we need jobs, man. Yeah. Um, just, just, um, awareness, you know, watch what you're doing. Um, you know, hover technique works. Um, and let's, you know, let's get these simple, these simple free, you know, effective means in place, you know, watch for these things and, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, ask to somebody out there, us, we can help you ask someone who, who can help you. Um, but the goal is to get it, get it fixed as quickly as possible. Yeah. Speed is the important thing. So you should be ready for these things to come in. I mean, IR 95% or more of IR is preparation. You got to prepare for that attack, for that uh, potential breach for, for anything like this. And so when you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're aware that these things come, if you, even if you haven't seen them before and, and make sure that you know what to do and your team knows what to do when you get a cred stealing fish reported, the idea is drop everything. Speed is important here. Oh yeah, sweet is because these actors are live. They're they're coming at us in hours, if not a day. Yeah. The, the multiple if, cases we've had, we've seen them within hours, minutes, or even a day. And uh, if you don't act, and you have some internet facing uh, login option, and that credential is usable there, look out. Yeah, I mean, if we'd have been picking our butts that one day, uh, twenty minutes would have gone by like that, and this guy would have been owed six ways of Sunday. And, and we just, would have been just, having uh, to uh, send emails to some of our uh, clients, customers, third parties, and all that saying, hey, you know, I know Bob sent you this email, Sorry. but that was a fish. Be, <laughs> be careful. And then you're responsible for the other company getting hacked. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's a nasty. You can't just say, my bad. <laughs> Imagine you were out, Brian, the day we got that one I was in. But what if we both had the flu? Yeah. So it's important mm -hmm. that this procedure be shared with yeah. everybody. And Document there's also another everything. important part of yeah, this procedure was written so you can also do it on a cell phone. Mm 
And so that's another important point is test this procedure on a cell phone. So when when you're people calling crazy and doing it, you know, you can follow these websites, save them in your Safari or, or, or Chrome browser, whatever browser you're using on your smartphone and, and be ready to be able to enter this information. Do you have a URL for me? Okay. You know, let me look at the screenshot. Yeah. Okay. Put in a block. You know, uh, you know, do this, and and so again, I don't have a lab. If I'm at a conference, like if something happens when I'm at B sides, well, you know, I can't do anything. So you really do uh, make sure it's something mobile, uh, and this is really an easy process. You can definitely do via mobile, and and get your people trained, even if they're not super techie. Uh, a general analyst should be able to deal with this, at least get the data so you can uh, feed it to us to to help us make a decision. All right, guys, we're gonna have to wrap this up. Hour yeah. and a half, and we're still not done. Okay, so <laughs> Martin. Uh, thanks yes, for, for coming and, and sharing your knowledge with us and, and, and our listeners. How can people we'll get a hold of you? What's your, what's your Twitter? Um, at Hacker Ninja on Twitter. Um, I have uh, my website's uh, infosec512.com. Um, working on updating all that right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, you probably find me on LinkedIn, I think, too. But, um, yeah, those are the two best ways. All right, we'll put that in the show notes as well. And um, remember, our uh, you know, stay tuned for these our bumper song. We're going to put the whole song at the end of this in about five or ten seconds. And for this is episode zero zero one of the Breaking Down Incident Response Podcast. Signing off. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. You got it. Thank you, guys. And here is our intro, the complete track, track seven of Vegas Bombs. Better by Austin's own Clint Baker. Been thinking and I knew it was over